Welcome to Foundation Christian Church. We're glad that you're joining us for today's message. For service times or to join a disciple group, please visit foundationcitrusheights.com. My name is Emily. I am Pastor Greg's wife. He's not well enough to be here today. He had another uh, cycle of chemo this week. I I know we have several guests in the room today. He has one more cycle on November 2nd, so we are um, scheduled cycle. We are grateful for your prayers. Thank you. Um, I have the uh, privilege of introducing our preacher this morning. We have a few more weeks of guest preachers uh, scheduled. We have Pastor John here from First Church. He serves with Pastor Jeff, who preached last week. Um, Pastor John is the family life pastor at our sister church in Sacramento, and uh, we are grateful to have him this morning. Come on up. Good morning. I have a fairly loud voice. I'm sure Greg does as well. So uh, I should carry the microphones. Probably not a whole lot of use to you guys other than the live stream. So um, you can't turn me down. (laughs) This morning, uh, I don't have slides. So we will be tracking along in the book of Habakkuk. So if you do have a Bible, go ahead and grab that and you can turn there. We're going to be doing kind of a survey through the book of Habakkuk. It's only three chapters. So we'll order some lunch, be here till, no, just kidding, it's pretty, pretty quick. <laughs> As you turn your Bibles there, 775, 775, all right, I do want to say before I start that I am always honored and privileged whenever I get the opportunity to stand behind a pulpit in, the, in God's church and preach his word and declare his truth. I don't take it lightly, uh, and so I am grateful to you and to your body for uh, welcoming me and inviting me here, uh, and I, I hope to honor the Lord in all that I say this morning. Amen? Amen. 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 Oh, Lord, how long will you forget me? Right now, I'm not reading from Habakkuk, so if you're looking there and you're going, what's going on? <laughs> oh, Lord, how long will you forget me? Forever? How long will you look the other way? How long must I struggle in anguish in my soul with sorrow in my heart every day? My God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Why are you so far from me when I groan for help? Every day I call to you, my God, but you do not answer. Every night, I lift my voice, but, you fi- but I find no relief. Some have categorized these cries from the Bible as cries of a faithless man. The accusations are one of one who doubts God and God's goodness, a rejection and an affront to his character. But are these the cries of an atheist? Are these the songs of those who have rejected God or renounced him? Today, we're going to be exploring the message of Habakkuk, and I believe we'll discover that these are actually grand manifestations of a deep faith. And it sounds like your body is going through some situations where that deep faith is the only sustain through the storm. And I know where I come from, First Church, just down yonder, 
we are as well, even this morning. From this place of faith, each one of us is called to walk onward in faithfulness. And so the message title this morning is From Faith to Faithfulness. So now a little background before we dive into the book of Habakkuk. Habakkuk is one of the 12, as some have called it, the 12 minor prophets. And Habakkuk's message came about 600 B.C., so quite a while ago. And in this time period and what's taking place in the nation of Judah, these are going to be crucial for us to understand the text of this book. Judah had witnessed just a few, uh, just over 100 years before this, their sister country, Israel, had been taken off into captivity by the uh, evil and wicked and godless Assyrians. And now these, together with the nation of Israel, Judah and Israel are the covenant people of God. These are the ones that he delivered up out of Egypt. These are the ones that he gave the promised land to and brought them into it. He covenanted with them that they would be his people and he would be their God. He gave Israel a king that they cried out for. And with David as king, he united the kingdom and brought what had once been fractured together. And with Solomon, David's son, a dwelling place for God was constructed among the people, the great temple. Many people came from all over the known world to see the splendor of Israel, to witness and listen to the wisdom of her king and to see what their God had done for them. And these were the glory days that by the time of Habakkuk had gone by. But now the United Kingdom was divided, and the Northern Kingdom was taken captive by the Assyrians. And another great nation out of the East was rising, whose infamy is legendary. The level of brutality and horror that accompanies this terror of a people is is truly unprecedented. So much so that their name and their image become analogous with evil and rebellion against God. As their name and fame precedes their appearing, the nations of the earth quake in fear before them. A sense of dreadful hopelessness must have filled the hearts of all those who heard and contemplated the inevitable advent of both death and destruction. And it is here, at this moment in time, that we parachute in against this backdrop. Now, little is known from the text of the Bible about Habakkuk the man. One concludes he was a prophet, meaning he is tasked with declaring God's word and God's ways to a particular people, the people of Israel, his covenant people. The primary message of the prophets were ones related to salvation and judgment. And this this book contains both of those. And you'll see as we progress through the book, a back and forth between the prophet and God. A complaint that's followed by an answer, and then repeated again, and ultimately concluding with a prayer that is set to music. If you are taking notes, we are going to look at three points in the book of Habakkuk, and I'll give you all three of those right now. A prayer of faith, a call to wait, and a commitment to faithfulness. A prayer of faith, a call to wait, and a commitment to faithfulness. Number one, a prayer of faith. Let's pick it up in Habakkuk chapter 1 starting in verse 1. 
This is the message that the prophet Habakkuk received in a vision. How long, O Lord, must I call for help? But you do not listen. Violence is everywhere. I cry, but you do not come to save. Must I forever see these evil deeds? Why must I watch all this misery? Wherever I look, I see destruction and violence. I am surrounded by people who love to argue and fight. The law has been paralyzed, and there is no justice in the courts. The wicked far outnumber the righteous, so that justice has become perverted. Now, how reminiscent of the cries of the psalmist that I read at the beginning are those opening lines of Habakkuk. How long, O Lord, must I cry for help? But you do not listen. Habakkuk speaks to God in a way that I think many believers are quite uneasy with. His tone, it's uncensored. It's confrontational. It's brutally honest. In fact, uh, Voltaire, who's an 18th century philosopher, he joked about the prophet Habakkuk, and, and he said that Habakkuk smelt too strongly of hell to be tolerated by pious Protestants like us. Oh, he, he's over the edge. He's gone crazy. You don't talk to God that way. <laughs> Violence is everywhere. I cry, but you do not come to save. Habakkuk is faced with a reality that is even closer to home than the uncertainty caused by the certain destruction that awaits when the nation that is raging to the east arrives on his doorstep. Something is going on in his own homeland as well, among his own people. Something that is the impetus for his lamenting cry at the beginning. The covenant people of the covenant God have broken the covenant law. And in its place, oppression and violence is running rampant. The leaders and the priests of the nation have failed to keep the law, teach the law, and execute justice. A people who were to be a light and a hope to all nations, who were to live out the truest and most noble vision of what it means to truly live, those people who were to live the purpose for which they were, all things were created, to glorify God Almighty and enjoy his presence forever, those very people have now undergone a sort of decreation. From the glorious creation that God was making in them all the way back to the chaotic waters of pre-creation, it seems they have fallen. What is good is now called evil, and what is evil is now called good. Can we relate to any of this nowadays? And it is no surprise. It is no surprise of what Habakkuk is experiencing and what he's seeing among his people. Because did not God promise, back in Deuteronomy, blessing and flourishing for faith and obedience? And did not God promise curses and judgment for distrust and disobedience? It was written right into his law, the same law that now is ignored and cast aside in Habakkuk's time. So what of Habakkuk's cry? Are these the words of a man who doubts and has rejected God? Are these the utterances of an atheist? No. 
and they are not hellish as Voltaire quipped. This is the prayer of a praying man. This is the prayer of a praying man. This is a model for you and I today. In fact, you can see it, it's even built into the formula that Habakkuk chose when writing it down in verse 2 and 3. To the people of Israel, nothing, nothing represented more the loving compassion and salvific deliverance that God provided for them as a nation. Nothing represented that more than the, the exodus from Egypt. To them, this is a story they retell over and over and over again. In their songs, in their words, they replay what God had done for them to bring a small, insignificant, no-name nation out of slavery and into the promised land. From slavery in Egypt, the mighty hand of God, the people were delivered with signs and wonders, the sea gave way as God's people marched out to meet him. But listen in Exodus chapter 2, verse 23. Before God acted, before he delivered, before his salvation came, first came a cry, not all that dissimilar to Habakkuk's. Years passed and the king of Egypt died. This would be the king that was killing all the young people in, in, among the Israelites. The king of Egypt died, but, but the Israelites continued to groan under the burden of slavery. They cried out for help and their cry rose to God. God heard their groaning and he remembered his covenant to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He looked down on the people of Israel and he knew it was time to act. And so he did, delivering his people. And the horse and chariot of the enemies of God were left decaying under the waters of the Red Sea. And you can see something in Habakkuk's cry that is connected to that passage in Exodus I just read. It goes something like this. In Exodus, they cried out for help. And in Habakkuk, I cry out for help. And in Exodus, he heard them. God heard them. And in Habakkuk, you will not listen. And in Exodus, he looked down and saw. And in Habakkuk, why do you idly look and do nothing? In Exodus, he knew it was time to act. And in Habakkuk, God... Things are out of hand. It's time. See, the, the prophet's using formulaic language. He's modeled it after the cries of the people of Israel to their God when enslaved in Egypt. This is a language of prayer he's using. And it's based upon the most profound act of deliverance in the collective mind of the people of Israel. But he adds a little bit of a twist, right? Whereas they cried out and God heard, he's wondering why God isn't acting the same as he did before. Why aren't you acting the same as you did before, God? He's begging God to bring them out of the destitute situation they find themselves in. This is not faithless speech. This is an appeal to God for him to act as he has acted in the past, to remain faithful to his promises and to be their God. 
This is faith. This is faith. And it's grounded on the confident expectation that God is faithful to act in accordance with his own character and his promises. He's faithful. It is faith born of hearing what God has done in the past and faith that stands upon the trustworthiness of God to act in the future. And in a sense, it's a challenge, one we may not be comfortable with. What are you going to do, God? In fact, there's a scripture in Habakkuk later on, we won't reference it, but when faced with the overwhelming difficulty and distress and when faced with the evils of this world, and the chaos and brokenness of sin with the hurts and pains that each one of us have experienced in our lives. Are you this honest with God? Do your prayers echo that of Habakkuk's? See, religious people, they can't actually be this honest with God. They can't. They're far too concerned with form and appearance. They're concerned with, did I say it right? Did I do the right thing in the right order? Do others think I'm pious in the way that I look? These are the thoughts that run across the mind of the religious and because they find their value in what they do. What I do is my value. Look at what I do. Did I do it right? But Habakkuk, he's far more interested in actual relationship with and relationship to God than he is with being religious, than fitting into the boxes that we like to paint around us to say, oh, we have to do it this way. He sees value not in what he does, but in the living God. If I can be near him, even if I'm crying out, even if I'm yelling, even if I'm screaming, even if I'm asking questions, I just want to be near him. I want to know what he's doing. I want to know why he's not doing what I think he should be doing. (laughs) But I want to know because I believe. Habakkuk is a model for faith for all of us to consider. In times like this, in times like what you're going through and what we are and what the world is going through, we need this level of honesty. Not some head in the sand, right, ignorance. And not some superficial, like, religious platitudes. Like, oh, God is good all the time. Even as my leg's getting cut off, God is good all the time, right? right? Even as the world's falling apart and burning around, God is good all the time. I have to keep saying this. I have to keep believing this. Yeah. No. That's not real. That's not raw. That's not realistic. I'm not saying we go, go to town. I'm not saying that we doubt God's goodness. But I'm saying he can handle it. He can handle it. He can handle all of you and more. Every tear you have to cry, every shout you want to let out, he can handle it. It's okay to say things are bad. Where are you? It's okay to say, what are you doing about this, God? In Habakkuk's case, the Lord replies, In verse five, he says, the Lord replied, look around at the nations, look and be amazed for I am doing something in your own day, something you wouldn't believe even if someone told you about it. I am raising up the Babylonians, 
a cruel and violent people, they will march across the world and conquer other lands. So what's God's answer to Habakkuk's complaint? He's raising up the Babylonians, the raging, raging, yeah, exactly, raging nation, the peoples of the East. He, God, has ordained that they, the Babylonians, would be his instrument of judgment and discipline on the nations and upon the people of God. For they have not kept his covenant law. And that is not the response that the prophet expected or wanted based upon his response in verse 12 and 13. Oh Lord, my God, my Holy One, you who are eternal, surely you do not plan to wipe us out. Oh Lord, our God, you have sent these Babylonians to correct us, to punish us for our many sins, but you are pure and cannot stand the sight of evil. Will you wink at their treachery? Should you be silent while the wicked swallow up people more righteous than they? Down to chapter 2, verse 1. I will, I will climb up to my watchtower and stand at my guard post. There I will wait to see what the Lord says and how he will answer my complaint. And then the Lord said to me, write my answer plainly on tablets so that a runner can carry the correct message to others. This vision is for a future time. It describes the end, and it will be fulfilled. If it seems slow in coming, wait patiently, for it will surely take place. It will not be delayed. If you're taking notes, number two, a call to wait. Habakkuk is trying to process what the Lord has said. <laughs> but if you notice, he words his response in a peculiar way. He says, I will go up on my watchtower and I will wait to see what the Lord says. I will wait to see what the Lord says. And then the Lord says, my answer, my deliverance, my answer to your prayer, it may seem slow in coming. So wait patiently. Yes, the Babylonians are going to come. And they are my instrument for discipline and punishment and judgment on the nations and upon the covenant people. However, they too will answer for their treachery. And I will deliver you, but wait. Just wait. Wait on it. It'll come. It'll seem like it's delayed. It's not delayed. It's right on time. Just wait. So what does this tell us? The watchtower was the tallest place along the city walls. And from there, you get the best view of everything that's coming. So let's say an army is marching against you. You can get up on the wall, you get on the watchtower, and you can see the size of the force, what direction they're coming from, and begin to make preparations. In other words, the watchtower is a place of perspective. The watchtower is a place of perspective. This is where you go to get the bird's eye view. And why is the prophet going up there? He's going there to wait. He's going up under the watchtower to wait and see. So the question is, how do we wait? How do we wait? A pastor once said that waiting on the Lord is an act of the will. 
It's not something that's forced upon you, like, hey, I had to wait around for you (laughs) to finish doing what you were doing. That's a kind of waiting, but that's not the kind of waiting that is talked about in the Bible. The kind of waiting that's talked about in the Bible is an act of the will. It's not something forced on us. Uh, he, He puts it this way. He said, it is the deliberate laying down of the burden of assumed omniscience. It is the deliberate laying down of the burden of, of, of assumed omniscience. Omniscience being knowing all things. Assumed meaning we don't have it, but we put it on ourselves. <laughs> we live in a knowledge and science-based world, don't we? Decades removed from the beginning of what was called the information age. And when we catch wind of a story, whether it's a breaking news story or it's a gossip story, what do we do? We can pull out our phone and in a matter of seconds after going to Google, we can just get flow, we can choke on the flood of information we can get in a matter of seconds. We think we know everything. You think you know everything that's important, at least. And not only do we think we know everything, we expect it of ourselves. I need to know everything. We have major fear of missing out. FOMO, you guys heard of that? Major FOMO when we don't know something. When we're not in the loop, when we haven't heard what we should have heard. We assume that if we craft the perfect search, query for Google, that we ought to be able to find the answer for every cure, every route that we want to take to get somewhere, every recipe, every word, every explainer video on how to fix my car, how to fix my lawnmower, how to fix my kids, right? I should be able to find it, get the information, do with it what I will. We are burdened down with our assumed omniscience. We carry that weight with us all the time. But what happens when the search query on the internet comes up empty? Or when the information that you get provides no comfort, only pain? Or there's no information whatsoever to help? When my son, my youngest son, was two, I believe it was, um, both myself and my wife were away from our home, and we got a call uh, that our youngest son, something was happening with him. Something, at the moment, we didn't know what it was. So we all both rushed back to the house. And we come in, and my youngest son, two years old, is having a seizure. And his mouth is foaming, and his arm is, is uncontrollably moving. It was one of the most terrifying moments of my life to go from a perfectly, what we assumed was a perfectly healthy child to in a moment, everything coming crashing in. And that began a long process of taking him to the doctor, MRIs, scans, whatever they do, testing, with zero insight into what was going on in his body. Only that it was happening. And it would happen in waves, in the beginning, it was probably a little lighter, and then it started to get really bad. And I remember one evening, we were living in Bakersfield, 
And my son had recently had a seizure. And I remember sitting outside of his room on the carpet in the hallway. Just, I was, I was at the end of it. Like, I had gotten so tired and weary of the fact that when I would wake up in the morning, I would open my eyes and immediately I would be panicked. What happened last night? What happened to him? But I was also a bit worried and scared and I didn't want to believe that anything bad happened to him. So I would literally walk to his room like a a scared man and like peek around the corner. I hope that I wouldn't walk in to a lifeless body in the bed. And so sitting on that floor outside of his room, I, God, only you know, the doctors don't know. Google just is a mess. <laughs> don't ever Google any of your symptoms. Like, you end up with all sorts of diseases. <laughs> Ask my wife. I, I have them all. <laughs> but sitting outside of his room, I came to the end of myself. I didn't doubt God or his goodness. But I finally realized I don't know it all, and no one does. And it was falling into the hands of my God and his mercy. I am happy to report that two years ago, three years ago, 2016, a while ago, (laughs) uh, my youngest son had his last seizure since 2016, and we haven't had any. They just stopped. But I am grateful, I'm grateful for that. But I even have a deeper sense of gratitude for the experience I had outside of his door. Because when I finally came to it, I understood that either way, God is in control and worthy of my praise and glory. And either way, I will see him again in the arms of my loving father. And I can trust my God. Either way. That was important for me. It was important for me to go for that. Habakkuk models for us this other way, a way that allows God to be God. Let's let God be omniscient. Can we do that? Let's let him be omniscient. And for us to lean into our frailty, to understand our frailty, to not diminish it, to lean into it so that we might magnify his glory instead of the make-believe pretending that we know it all, that we control it all, and we have it all together. Habakkuk says, no, I don't know what's going on. No one knows what's going on. Only you do, Lord, and that's where I go. Tim Keller, Pastor Tim Keller, once said that God always answers prayer the way that we would want him to if we knew everything that he knows. God always answers prayer the way that we would want him to if we knew everything that he knows, always. And if you can believe that, if that can be a part of your promise and hope, that'll get you through a lot. I don't see it all. I don't know it all. I don't control it all. I don't know what's going on. I know what I want, but you know everything. And I know in the end, we'll look back at every situation and every circumstance in life and go, God had it in control. And that's exactly how I would do it if I was in his position. (laughs) Amen? In Habakkuk's story, God was working something of great wonder. Then, even at his time, than Habakkuk could ever imagine or think to pray for, even. For, for a time, Israel 
together with Judah, what once was the unified kingdom, they needed to be disciplined. God needed to discipline his children. He needed to discipline because he loved them. And yes, it was at the hands of the wicked, evil, and cruel Babylonian empire. But they would ultimately be judged as well for their rebellious rejection of God. And God assured that to the prophets. It's coming for them too. Uh, Charles Spurgeon once said, those who do not hope cannot wait. Those who do not hope cannot wait. If you find yourself unable to wait on the Lord, you're missing something to hope in. You've missed something, a part of the gospel and the goodness of God that you need to readdress. Because once you have a hope, once you've grabbed the hope, you can wait. You can wait and see. Because you know who has all things in his control. But now let's look at the contrast in, in, in verse four of chapter two. Uh, this is a part of the, the, the Lord's response. Look at the proud. Look at the proud. They trust in themselves. They think they're omniscient. <laughs> they think they have it all under control and their lives are crooked. But the righteous will live by their faithfulness to God. Hidden right there in the middle of Habakkuk chapter two, is an absolute precious treasure of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Number three, a commitment to faithfulness. That scripture in Habakkuk chapter uh, chapter two gets imported into the New Testament in three different places, Romans, Galatians, and Hebrews. And each time it's talking about our new life and redemption in Jesus Christ. Paul loves that scripture. He uses it three times. And it's about our, love, our life and redemption in Christ through faith and faithfulness. So listen really quick. You don't have to turn there. Listen really quick to what the passage in Hebrews says. Hebrews chapter 10, starting in verse 19. And so, dear brothers and sisters, we can boldly enter heaven's most holy place because of the blood of Jesus. By his death, Jesus opened a new and life-giving way through the curtain into the most holy place. And since we have a great high priest who rules over God's house, let us go right into the presence of God with sincere hearts, fully trusting him. For our guilty consciences have been sprinkled with Christ's blood to make us clean and our bodies have been washed with pure water. Let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm. For God can be trusted to keep his promises. And jumping down to verse 32, think back on those days when you first learned about Christ. Remember how you remained faithful even though it meant terrible suffering. Sometimes you were exposed to public ridicule and were beaten. And sometimes you helped others who were suffering in the same way. You suffered along with those who were thrown into jail. And when all you owned was taken from you, you accepted it with joy. You knew there was better things waiting for you that will last forever. So do not throw away this confident trust in the Lord. Remember the great reward it brings you. Patient endurance is what you need now so that you will continue to do God's will. Then you will receive all that he has promised. For in just a little while, the coming one will come and will not delay. And my righteous ones will live by faith. But I will take no pleasure in anyone who turns away. And then Paul, back in his voice, says, 
But we are not like those who turn away from God to our own destruction. We are the faithful ones whose souls will be saved. See, what God was ultimately doing even in Habakkuk's time and through the struggles and pains that they endured was he was calling out his faithful ones. He was calling them out. Calling them out to carry onward the plan and purposes of God. And all those plans and purposes, all of the promises of the Old Testament find their fulfillment and completion in who? Jesus Christ. The prophet was called to faithfulness because the Lord was speaking and preparing to do something that would blow minds. He was going to come. The second person in the Trinity, clothed in flesh, He would live the perfect, obedient life of faithfulness to God. The one we are supposed to live, Christ would live it in our place. He would take that obedient faith all the way to the end, to the cross, where he would take on all of our sin and he'd take on all the evil and the chaos of this sick and broken world and breaking the power of the curse of sin and death and rising again from the grave. And from every nation... And every tribe and every tongue, he would call out to the faithful ones to walk in loyal love to God, even in the face of extraordinary difficulty, even in the face of extraordinary suffering and persecution, even in the face of personal pain and loss, even in the face of sickness, even unto death. And guess what? They would do it. They would do it for him. They would walk in his footsteps as Jesus walked. They would follow him even unto death because they believed and they trusted that what God has in store for them is greater than anything this world and all of its most beautiful and best things has to offer because they have experienced a goodness that is superior to all other goods. They have fellowship with God. And that's what Habakkuk had as he's crying out and lamenting. I don't want religion. I don't want a whitewashed tomb. I don't want to put on a show, a pious show and stay in the bounds so that everyone else approves me. I want fellowship with God. That's what I want. And that's what Habakkuk modeled not some dead, dry religion. The final chapter of Habakkuk is a prayer and it's set to music. You can see the musical notations at the beginning and at the end. Probably not unlike what we did earlier in song and praise. And it starts like this. Chapter three, I have heard all about you, Lord. I'm filled with awe by your amazing works. In this time of our deep need, help us again as you did in years gone by. And in your anger, remember your mercy. He then goes on to paint this picture of God, this covenant-keeping God, the deliverer of God's people. He paints this picture over the next few verses of God marching across the desert as the earth is in tremble and fear, the mountains quake and fall 
as God comes. And what does he come to do? He comes to judge the wicked and save his people. And this is a glorious and awe-inspiring sight to Habakkuk. It may be long in appearing, but when it comes, it will fill all the faithful ones with awe and worship. Habakkuk ends with, I trembled inside when I heard this. My lips quivered with fear. My legs gave way beneath me and I shook in terror. I will wait quietly for the coming day when disaster will strike the people who invade us. Even though the fig trees have no blossoms and there are no grapes on the vine, even though the olive crop fails and the fields lie empty and barren, even though the flocks die in the fields and the cattle barns are empty, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in the God of my salvation. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes me as sure-footed as a deer, able to tread upon the heights. A man from lamenting cries to glorious praise. A man in fellowship with God. My friends, you may be asking this morning, why me? Why me? Why my people? Why my country? Why must I see all this injustice and pain and hopelessness around Why this sickness in my own body? Why this heartache within? Why me? In the Lord of the Rings trilogy, there's a great line, I think that captures exactly this. Frodo is talking to Gandalf about this darkness and cruelty that had taken the land and had consumed it. And Frodo says to Gandalf, I wish it need not have happened in my time. So do I, said Gandalf, and so do all who live to see such times. But that is not for them to decide. All we have to decide is what to do with the time that has given to us. Whatever situation you find yourself in, whether it be personal struggles or you are looking at the moral and social corruption around us, Habakkuk shows us how to process it in a realistic way through gut-wrenching, honest prayer and how to trust in waiting and to live out all of our days in faithfulness. One of my favorite authors, A.W. Tozer, once wrote this. What then are we to do about our problems? We must learn to live with them until such a time as God delivers us from them. We must pray for grace to endure them without murmuring. Problems patiently endured will work for our own spiritual perfecting. They harm us only when we resist them or endure them unwillingly. It's not your right or mine And it's not within your authority or my authority to determine outcomes. It's not our right. It's not our authority. That's the Lord's. Your duty 
And your call is to faithfulness in all things. And with God's enabling, this is what we will do. Amen. Will you pray with me? Father God, thank you for your faithful servant, Habakkuk. Thank you that when you said, write this down, he did. Thank you that even among us broken, hurting, struggling, sinful humanity, there are models and examples that you have provided us that we might come to you and be in fellowship. We acknowledge God, even in those times, even when we try to pray, there are times it ain't right. We don't do it with the right heart. We don't do it trusting you. But with a heart of trust and faith in you, may each one of us be bold in our approaching God with all the prayers and concerns, all the thoughts and pains of our heart. Knowing you are big enough to handle it, and the outcome is in your hands. And then, Lord, may we wait patiently, no longer assuming omniscience like we know it all, but instead, devoting ourselves to faithfulness. From the moment we open our eyes in the morning to the moment we drift off, drift off to sleep, renewed day after day, week after week, year after year, for as long as you allow us here until one day we can be in your arms face to face and the fellowship we experience here, Lord, will be full and complete and we long for that day. I thank you for your word, God. Thank you for your word for it is life to us. In Jesus' name. Amen.